Well, good morning, Facebook friends, and those of the more traditional route. Good to be here with you today. Let me get, as they say at the end of the TSA line, recombobulated. When they built this podium, they weren't anticipating that people were going to stick their laptops on here. A sermon. Very good. Well, anyway, I imagine that the story went something like this. Hey, what? You should do that. I can't. Why not? Because I was told not to. By whom? By God. Well, what happens if you do it? Something bad. Oh, nothing bad's going to happen. It'll be something good. I imagine there in the Garden of Eden that that first conversation between man and Satan occurred in a whisper. I don't know if I'm right about that, but that's the way I picture it. Satan whispering to Eve, and Eve sort of going into that mode of communication with him in that dialogue that we all know so well. The word whisper is a verb. Well, actually, it can be a verb or a noun. As a verb, it means to speak softly using your breath rather than your vocal cords, especially for the sake of secrecy, It can also be a noun, which means the softer confidential tones of a whispered voice, a quiet voice. And one of the Hebrew words for serpent, way back in the Old Testament, is pronounced nakash. It's a word that was used in Exodus 4.3 to describe a serpent or a snake. And it's the same word that's used in Genesis 3.1 to describe Satan as the serpent. That word, nakash, comes from an older Hebrew word, nakash, which means to hiss or to whisper. So the idea there in the language is that Satan is coming as a serpent, as one who hisses. He is a hisser. He is a whisperer. I don't know uh, how many of you will be old enough to remember this. But there was once a radio program called The Whisperer. Anybody want to admit to knowing that radio program? Uh, From like the 40s or 50s or something like that. The people who are raising their hand are putting their head down. (laughs) It's not recent. As I understand it, that story tells about a person who was in an accident uh, playing football or something in college, had his vocal cords damaged, and so he whispered for the longest time, and he ended up working for the mafia and he ended up being an informer back to the authorities about what was going on in the, in, the, in the mafia. And so it had a double meaning. One, his voice was damaged. He was a whisperer, but also he was whispering secrets about the mafia back to the authorities. And then, of course, in 1998, Robert Redfield, Robert Redfield, Robert Redford directed and starred in a movie called The Horse Whisperer. The Horse Whisperer. I recently watched that. I was very, very disappointed. 
He never whispered to the horse one time in the whole movie. There was no whispering in there. But that's sort of the theme there is that, uh, that he has secrets with the horse, that he understands them. And then, I don't know if you've caught the more recent, there's a TV show called, nope, that one you don't know, The Dog Whisperer. I haven't seen it, but apparently it's a, sh- a show, uh, it features a guy named uh, Caesar Milan who works with problem dogs in the United States. You have a dog that's a real problem. You bring him to the dog whisperer, and I don't know what all he does, but uh, perhaps whispering in the dog's ear is one of those things. And, uh, and he, uh, he, he, he works with these animals, and he gets them uh, back to what the owners hoped that they would be. It has an estimated audience of 11 million people watching every week. The whisperer, the dog whisperer, the horse whisperer. So the idea here is that whispering apparently works on horses. And whispering apparently works on dogs. Whispers can be powerful if you want to capture someone's attention. Whisper. Remember that? So you're dating yourself if you remember that too. That was a perfume perfume commercial from back um, late 70s perhaps, something like that. If you want to capture someone's attention... Whisper. We remember some of those lines really well. And I remember it was perfume, but I have no idea what perfume it was whispering. So if we're spending all that money on advertising for a little tagline like that, then apparently whispers not only work on horses, and whispers not only work on dogs, but whispering works on humans too. Is whispering mentioned in the Bible? It is. Whispering is mentioned in the Bible. Most of the time, not always, but most of the time, it has an evil connotation. David talks about whispering a little bit. He says in Psalms, Yea, I hear the whispering of many, terror on every side. And later he says in the Psalms, All who hate me whisper together about me. They imagine the worst for me. Now, I have felt that. I don't know if you have felt that. But it's like everybody is whispering against you. And you are downgraded as a result. And then David's son, Solomon, he said a couple of things about whispering. He said, a whisperer separates close friends. A lot of truth in that, yes, in, in, in rumor spreading. And he says, where there is no whisperer, quarreling ceases. Where there is no whisperer, quarreling ceases. Back in Roman times, in, uh, in the Roman Empire, when they would have battles, they would have uh, a successful battle, and they would, they would want to give uh, some kind of accolades to the commander of the forces who led in this victorious battle. And so they had what they called the triumphus, the Roman triumphus. And we would probably call it a ticker tape parade is essentially what it was. It was a very elaborate, it was very well orchestrated on how they would give this person great recognition for the battle that they had won. And, uh, and it was quite, quite detailed in how, that they would, uh, how they would set this thing up. On the day of triumph, the, the general or the commander would wear the regalia that identified him uh, it, for his position, and a laurel wreath was placed above his head, not on his head, above his head, sort of like a halo. How do you suppose they held it there? That was someone's job. You hold the wreath over his head, okay? And, uh, and that was, a, that was a, a slave or a servant. And so he would ride in his chariots, 
in his chariot through the streets of Rome in unarmed procession with his whole army and the spoils of his war. And, uh, and then they would go and they would offer a sacrifice and tokens of victory to the gods. And thereafter, he had the right to be described as vir triumphalis, man of triumph, for the rest of his life. Sort of like a medal of valor kind of thing. After death, he was represented at his own funeral and those of other descendants by a hired actor who would wear his death mask. So as they're bringing this great ticker tape parade into the city, here comes the general. Here's the way they would do it. The magistrate, the important people from the town, the mayor, the council members, they would all be out front. And then would come trumpeters. This was all carefully arranged. The trumpeters would come after them. After that, they would have carts pulled by the animals full of the spoils of war, showing everybody all the booty that they had accumulated from this war. After that, they had white bulls marching along behind. The white bulls would be used in the sacrifice once they reached the, um, the, uh, the temple of Jupiter. Then they would, wear, uh, they would bring the arms and insignia of the conquered army. And after that, the enemy leaders themselves, any that they had captured alive and often their relatives or other, other captives. And then came the commander, number seven in the procession the commander over all the forces who had this great victory, in a chariot drawn by horses with that guy holding the wreath over the top of his head. The army had no weapons or armor clad in. They were all clad in togas, and they, they uh, were all decked out. It says this commander was accompanied in his chariot by a slave who held that, that laurel wreath above his head. And the slave had two jobs because not only was he assigned to hold the wreath above the head of this great conqueror, he was also assigned to whisper into his ear. And what do you suppose he whispered into his ear? You don't know? He whispered in Latin, memento mori. Any Latin students? Remember, you are mortal. You are mortal. Because in, they understood that in, with all of that pomp and ceremony, with all of those accolades and all of that recognition this, rec- recognition, this man might begin to think he is sort of a god because they elevated their great leaders. Their emperors were at least godlike. And this person might start to think himself just a little bit of deity. So they had someone responsible through this whole parade of telling him how great he is to say, you're just a man. You're just a man. I imagine that in some movie or cartoon or book that you've read, you've seen a portrayal of somebody who's struggling between, a, between a, a, a good choice, bad choice kind of thing. And sitting right over here on his shoulder is a little angel whispering in his ear the right thing to do. And on his left shoulder is a little demon, a little devil, right? You seen that? They, they call it the shoulder angel and the shoulder devil. I'm a little offended because I'm left-handed. I'm a little offended that they put the devil up on this side. But that's the way they always depict it. And you've got the voice whispering good into your ear. And you've got the little demon whispering, whispering bad into your ear. And it's a recognition of the struggle that we all feel. We hear these whispers drawing us back and forth, conflicting. And whispering has been a powerful part even of politics. Whispering, whisper campaigns. 
Going as back as far as the presidential election, the campaign between John Adams and Thomas Jefferson, the, the, uh, the, the Federalists who supported John Adams started a whisper campaign against Thomas Jefferson about those black children that he fathered with his slave girls. That seems long ago and far away. But in 1884, it was repeated when President uh, Grover Cleveland was target of a whisper campaign, when uh, people claimed that he had fathered an illegitimate child while he was governor of New York. And Franklin Roosevelt was the topic of whisper campaigns because of things that he stood for. And as recently as the 2000 presidential election, the the, uh, primaries that occurred in 2000, saw Senator John McCain and George Bush in a primary in South Carolina, and it got a little vicious, and the people in Bush's camp started a whisper campaign against John McCain. John McCain had, uh, they said, had they, they implied that he had fathered a black child out of wedlock. The truth was he had adopted a daughter from Bangladesh. The voters in South Carolina were asked this question. This is sort of like that question, have you stopped beating your wife yet? There's like, it, it, it's an unfair question. They were asked this question in a poll. Would you be more likely or less likely to vote for John McCain if you knew that he fathered an illegitimate black child? It destroyed his primary in South Carolina. And, of course, we know George Bush ended up taking the nomination and and becoming president. It says, in addition, in the article that I read, says, in addition, on the week uh, of the nomination vote, dozens of radio stations were called, all on the same day, asking talk show hosts what they thought of McCain fathering a black child out of wedlock, even though there was no truth to it at all. Isn't that dirty politics? Man, that's just shameful. Here's what John McCain had to say about it. You know how John McCain tends to be... He doesn't try to be soft or politically correct. He says what's on his mind. He says this. There were some pretty vile and hurtful things that were said during the South Carolina primary. It's really a nasty side of politics. We tried to ignore it, and I think we shielded our daughter from it. It's just unfortunate that that sort of thing still exists. As you know, my daughter is Bengali, and she's very dark-skinned. A lot of phone calls were made by people who said we should be very ashamed about her, about the color of her skin. Thousands and thousands of calls from people to voters saying, you know, the McCains have a black baby. And John McCain says, I believe there is a special place in hell for people like that. Whispering has been in our marketing, not just politics, it's been in our marketing. Facebook even started a whisper campaign against Google in vying for the social media market. And they started a whisper campaign that Google was selling personal information when they were not. And Facebook got caught in that one. And we use whispering in our advertising. Really, advert commercial advertising is whispering. That sometimes it shouts, but often it whispers. The American, uh, or, I'm sorry, Psychology Today, in an article in Psychology Today, it says one form of physical addiction 
is the phenomenon of overreaction by the brain to drugs or to cues about the addiction. An alcoholic who walks into a bar, for example, will feel an extra pull to have a drink because of cues, perhaps the sights, the sounds, the smells, that remind him or her of drinking. And the American Psychological Association says addiction therapists frequently encounter patients who desperately want to quit drug or alcohol consumption or some other addiction, but they experience a triggered relapse. For an alcoholic, for example, it may be the sight of a cocktail glass or a neon sign, whatever it is. Similarly, food-related signals such as fast food signs or a TV commercial. They have the power to tempt people even when the person isn't hungry. Studies have shown that obese people are more attracted to food signals than people of healthy weights. And drug addicts are more likely than non-addicts to be drawn by by those signals that they associate with the habit. A lot of behavior, be be it human or animal, is controlled by cues in the environment. And advertising exploits that. I want to play a short audio for you. This is an advertisement. And it's, it's playing to a vice, if you will. Um, but I want you to just listen to it. We're going to listen to it twice. Why don't you just listen to it first, just at face value, and then we'll talk about it. Andrew, go ahead and uh, play that. There's that distinctive sound, and it draws you in. Machines light up everywhere you turn. Excited crowds gather around the tables. I'll talk about that while we're, we're trying to gear, gear that up again. Have you heard that commercial before? Does it sound familiar? I hear it on the radio all the time. Do you know what they're advertising? A casino. Advertising a casino. Now, we know that people have problems with gambling addictions, do we not? And the person who has a true addiction, whether it's gambling or it's pornography or it's drugs or it's alcohol or whatever it is, we know that they have a physical, physiological response to that temptation. The, uh, the pulse rate quickens. The blood pressure increases. Um, I think there are, I'm not a, not a physician, but I think there are things going on with glands and things that, uh, you know, adrenaline and things like that. And the person can feel that draw. And this commercial is specifically, in my mind, targeting those addicts, those people, You listen to this, it says, there's that distinctive sound, audible, right? There's that distinctive sound. It draws you in. Remember what the psychologists were talking about, all these these cues, these addictive cues? It draws you in. Machines light up everywhere you turn. You're seeing this. Excited crowds gather around the table. You can hear that. You can feel it, it says in the ad. As soon as you step inside, there's an undeniable energy that gets your blood pumping. Are they talking to an addict there? And it intrigues you. It makes you want more. Makes you want to see if tonight is your night. Hanging out with friends, enjoying a great dinner. A little play on the, on, the, on the taste buds there. Then it's on to a few hands at your favorite table. Whatever your move, it's waiting for you. Whatever your move, it's waiting for you. That's a powerful statement. Doesn't matter what you want to do. It's okay. It's okay. Can we play that whole thing through again, Andrew? Listen for the very last There's word of the ad. There's a distinctive sound, and it draws you in. Machines light up everywhere you turn. Excited crowds gather around the tables. Yeah, 
you can feel it as soon as you step inside Potawatomi Bingo Casino. There's an undeniable energy that gets your blood pumping, and it intrigues you, makes you want more, makes you want to see if tonight is your night. Hanging out with friends, enjoying a great dinner, then it's on to a few hands at your favorite table. Whatever your mood, it's waiting for you. Potawatomi Bingo Casino in downtown Milwaukee. Call 1-800-PAYS-BIG or visit PaysBig.com for details. Must be at least 21 years old. Is that not almost Satan himself? But what a picture of the life we live and the work that Satan does to get into our heads and to get into our hearts. He knows our weaknesses. He knows how to whisper to us. He knows how to say, play. He whispers to us in billboards. He whispers to us on commercials. He whispers to us in various venues of entertainment. He whispers to us even in the voices of others around us. Romans 1, 28 and 29 says, And even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a debased mind to do things which are not fitting, being filled with all unrighteousness, sexual immorality, wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, evil-mindedness. They are whisperers, Paul says. They are whisperers. They're trying to spread that evil to everyone else, to get everybody else into play. Well, that's kind of a dark picture to paint. You can go home and tell people you listen to gambling commercials at church today. Somebody once said, did you ever notice that the whisper of temptation can be heard farther than the loudest call to duty? But there is good news in all of this, because you know what? God whispers too. God knows how to whisper. Sometimes he shouts at us. Sometimes he whacks us upside the head with a board. But he also knows how to whisper. God whispers all the... You remember the story of Elijah uh, in, uh, in 1 Kings 19? Let me turn there just real quick. 1 Kings 19. You know the story well. Up on Mount Carmel... His, his little war with, uh, with, with uh, Jezebel's priests, 450 of them, I think there were. And he has that great, great victory where he calls fire down from heaven in the sight of all the people. It's just a, it's a fantastic story. But the part after that, remember the part after that where he runs ahead of the, the chariot and he runs all the way to the city. And then Jezebel says, He'll be dead by this time tomorrow. And Elijah freaks out and runs away and goes and hides. And he's out in the desert somewhere. An angel comes to him and gives him some sustenance and and, uh, says he goes on the strength of that sustenance for 40 days. And, And then he comes to... uh, Where is he? Mount... What's the name of the mountain that he comes to? Thank 
Mount Horeb. That's where he goes. Mount Horeb. Thank you. Sorry, I blanked out on it. And so he's sitting there near that. And you know the story of uh, God speaking to him. And the first thing God says to him is, what are you doing here, Elijah? And he moans and complains and talks about all of the terrible things that have gone on in his life. And he's the only one left and might as well kill him. And uh, God tells him to go out, stand on the mountain. And this strong wind comes by, strong enough to break rocks. But God isn't in there. And then there's this this earthquake, and God isn't in the earthquake. And then there's this fire, but God isn't in the fire. And after that, we know, comes the still, small voice, the whisper. And God says again, what are you doing here, Elijah? What are you doing here, Elijah? And he whispers, and he gets Elijah's attention, and he strengthens him there. When we listen to that shoulder devil who says, play, and he takes us to places, he leads us to places that we really shouldn't be, God whispers, what are you doing here? What are you doing here? And we plug one ear or the other. We don't like hearing both those voices. We tend to block out one and listen to the other. It's not unlike that old story that's been told too many times, and I'm going to tell it again because it's a great analogy, about the old Indian who's talking to his young grandson, and he says, there inside of every man there are two wolves, two wolves that are always battling with each other. One is noble and represents all of the good things in life, honesty and virtue. The other one is evil and represents all of the bad things in life, the selfishness, the jealousies, the covetousness, the harm, the violence. And they war with each other all the time inside your life. And the little boy says, well, Grandpa, which one wins? And the old man says, The one you feed. The one you feed. We've got two little voices talking to us all the time. We know that Satan whispers a lot. Play. He's got many venues. But God whispers too. And we need to feed that wolf. We need to feed to hear that voice. We need to develop A sense, uh, not just a sense, we need to develop a, a sensitivity to the voice of God so that we don't miss it when he says, what are you doing here? In John 10, 1, Jesus is speaking and he says, he says, most assuredly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs up some other way, the same as a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him, the doorkeeper opens. And the sheep hear his voice. And he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. And when he brings out his own sheep, he goes before them. And the sheep follow him for they know his voice. And yet they will by no means follow a stranger. But will flee from him for they do not know the voice of stranger. We all know 
in our lives, we're going to hear whispers, just like Eve did in the Garden of Eden. We're going to hear that whisper, hey, what? you should do that. I can't. Why? Because God told me not to. And I know his voice. And he is my master, not you. So go away. Go away. Go away, Satan. I'm going to listen to the voice of God. Today we have the opportunity to feed one of those wolves. One that feeds on bread and wine. Communion is but one of many ways for us to tune ourselves in again to the voice of God, to hear His whisper and to create barriers to all that sound that Satan is trying to make in our other ear. Let's bow our head. Father in heaven, you are so good to us. Even though we so often turn and go and do things and we go to places we shouldn't be and we do things we shouldn't do and we find ourselves in situations that we know we shouldn't have gotten ourselves into, and yet in love you respond with a whisper in our ear, what are you doing here? Father, Help us to tune out Satan's whispers, which are all around us, and tune carefully in to your whisper, to your leading in our lives. Bless us today as we break bread together, as we take the symbols of communion, as we go back and experience humility through our ordinance and remember Christ's ministry here on the earth and the example that he set. Help us to feed our faith in you. Help us to hear your whispers in our lives. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. At this, at this time, we'll separate for the ordinance of foot washing, uh, the handicap or those that can't make it downstairs, the men will be in back here. The women will be out in the office. It's all set up for you so that you don't have to go downstairs. The rest of you, men, go down the front steps and into the hallway, hall rather, and then the women go down the back into that section for foot washing. And at this time, everybody is welcome to take part in communion. And when you come back, will you sit every other pew so that the people handing out the communion will be able to fit in between there and get it done faster. Thank you. And now let's disperse to go get our foot washing done. Thank you. As we just celebrated foot washing, we know that Christ that night washed the disciples' feet, and he told us to do likewise. Also, he says, as they were eating, Jesus took bread and blessed it and broke it and gave it to the disciples and said, take, eat, this is my body. And at this time, uh, we'll have the deacons, I should say elder. The elder have prayer for the bread.
Kim. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the opportunity to come together here today to open up the communion service, and we thank you for the privilege to be able to partake of this symbol of the history of Jesus and what he did with his disciples. And we would ask that your blessings would rest upon the bread today and uh, that it would be a symbol of your breaking of the flesh for each of us here in the sanctuary today. And for those who are not here, we ask for your blessings to extend out to them as well. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. And he said to the disciples, take ye eat, all of it.
as we know that the bread is the symbol of his broken body. Next he took the cup and gave thanks and gave it to them, saying, Drink ye all of it. For this is my blood of the New Testament, which is shed for many for the remission of sins. But I say unto you, I will not drink henceforth of this fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it anew with you in my Father's kingdom. As the elders uh, and deacons bow here in front, Paul, will you lead us in prayer for the, the wine? Our Father in heaven, we're told that in the blood is life. As we see Jesus shedding his blood, he is giving us life. We want to thank you today for sending Jesus to do that for us, to give us the opportunity that even though we are sinful and we have strayed from thee, that we have that opportunity to repent and to come back to you, and you will give us life. As we partake of this, let us remember that you are with us each and every day. We ask in Jesus' name, amen.
first cut, remember how sacred it is. And he said, drink ye all of it. Our Heavenly Father, as we have partaken of these emblems, may each one of us discern the true meaning of each one. And now that we are made clean once again, Lord, may we not sin as you have asked us. May we follow your Son. And at the time when you return, may each one hear, and the sound of my voice will be in heaven, for we ask it in your name. Amen.